Lord, we want to be built on you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, you can be seated. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Metro Life Church. I haven't been here for a few weeks, so hello. If I haven't had a chance to meet or greet you yet, I look forward to doing so after the service. Welcome. Thank you for being with us today. I want to just take this opportunity to dismiss Bridge 46, that's our ministry for those who are in 4th through 6th grade. Uh, They can go ahead and begin to make their way from class. If you're new here, uh, they are in here with us during worship, and then we dismiss them during this time. So there's a a sign slowly making its way around the room, but they're just simply going to go out these doors, and they'll return for the closing worship at the end. Just a couple of things before we dive into God's Word together this morning. We're going to continue in Hosea, but maybe your house has been like mine for the last few weeks. Uh, We have some new voters in our house, and so that means that uh, new mail is showing up at our house. And uh, man, do they have a lot to say in big, bright, bold colors. And uh, some of them are saying things about what their environmental policies are going to be just by the amount of junk mail they're sending. It's ridiculous. Uh, But there can be a lot of confusion around times of election. Now, what I'm not here to do is say, this is who you should vote for. This is, this is what you're supposed to do with that responsibility. But I am going to appeal to you to be a part of the voting process, to be a part of uh, using your voice and your vote to, for, for the good of the community around you. Now, I know that we have represented from uh, Orange and Seminole County here, but uh, this week, a new piece of mail showed up, and it's not junk mail, it's, it's, the, it's actually the sample ballot that showed up in our, in our house. And, and as you look through that, you may be like me, where you just go, I have no idea who this person even is. What, what does this water district even mean? Or what does that judge think about judging? Uh, there's, there's all kinds of things that you can begin to think through, and so there are times where you may have that sense of, I, I wish that somebody would just put together a simple guide to help me understand even what the issues are. Well, we have something like that for you this morning. It's a, a voting guide put together on your behalf. It's by the Florida Family Policy Council. Uh, but let me just make this part clear. This voting guide is, one, it is a guide. It is, it is not an endorsement of any candidate. It's simply to take a summary of the issues that are kind of main issues, talking points of the day. But more than that, it's, it's actually a reflection of the candidate's actual words. Now, you, you may think, like, this is a bold step to talk about politics this much in the church. Well, it's important to me that we are, one, informed by Scripture, that our conscience is informed by Scripture, and two, that we are part of this voting process. But more than that, I, I just actually want to know how does something like this get put together before I put it before the church? So I actually had lunch with John Stenberger, the, the president of Florida Family Policy Council. I said, John, how does this happen? How do you know that they stand, that they support or oppose these particular things? And, and what he let me know was this is actually reflective of their actual public words on these subjects. So that's, that's kind of what the process is. Uh, it's not like they go and sit down with each candidate and say, now we're going to put it this way. No, actually the candidate is putting it in their own words, and then this is just a summary guide so that you're not having to go out and do all of that research. But these are available for you today in the lobby. I encourage you to pick one up. Uh, do like our family does, just fill out that sample ballot. And whether you're doing early voting, whether you're 
going the day of, we fill that sample ballot out, and then I personally take that in uh, to vote with me. And, and there are people that I'll reach out to that I may have a question about something, um, something that uh, particular to the judges or different aspects of local governance. Uh, but please be informed with your vote. It's not a wonderful time to do like we did on our SATs back in the day and fill out Christmas trees. Let's be informed, conscience-driven voters for the glory of God. Amen. All right, lastly, I, I, I just want to say thank you. Uh, Stephanie and I were away for our anniversary. Uh, we were able to get away for a couple of weeks uh, just to invest in probably the most important aspect of our marriage, and that is time together. So I just want to say thank you to uh, Seth Greer and to Shane Kahoot for preaching the last couple of weeks. They have done just a phenomenal job. Uh, I'm just grateful that there are men in the church that can continue to preach even while I'm away. And I know that you are being cared for out of God's word well. And uh, so thank you to those guys. But in particular, I want to thank Shane and then highlight just a gratitude for you as a church. We were blessed to be away for the hurricane that came through. Um... Uh, although I did come home to three days of yard work, which, I, which reminds me, I still need to bring that up with my two boys. Um, but we'll deal with that later. Uh, I, I am so grateful for you as a church. Um, when I got home, one of the first things I did, and I, was, I had some contact with Shane while we were away, but one of the first things that I did was I, I was just following up with Shane and with Chip saying, where are we at with hurricane relief? And, you know, I'm coming home to uh, hearing of waters cresting in local lakes that we know, we know because forever those waters rise days after the storms. And, and I come home to, to Altamont Springs flooded uh, at, at a lake that like just on July 3rd I was at an event at, right? I mean, so like this is home, and then you see this new devastation happening. And so we're asking the question of what needs, to be, uh, what needs are there still to be met in the church? And to your benefit, their answer was the church has been there for one another. And I just, I thank God for that. They, they started telling me about how they were reaching out through the community groups and how community group leaders already knew of needs in their in their groups and how those were already being taken care of by you. And so, church, thank you just for who you are and being you in that moment. I am so grateful to God that that, that is the testimony that I came back with. The, there were a few people that emailed just bragging on you, and I was so grateful for that. And I was grateful for this as well. There were names on there that are in these community groups that I haven't even had the privilege of meeting yet, and yet they're already kind of taking up that sense of community and, and serving one another. And so thank you for that. Uh, if you are wondering, we have been reaching out to some of the, the pastors and groups that we work with in, uh, on the Gulf Coast and, uh, and South Florida just to ask, are there ways that we are currently aware that we can serve? And, and there's a lot of infrastructure that is still kind of being built up to even know how to answer that question. Uh, but we'll let you know if there's any opportunities that we need to be participating in. Unfortunately, it seems like there's this kind of ex- extreme, they're either okay or their house doesn't exist anymore. And that is certainly devastating. So there is something we can do now and we can pray for our brothers and sisters that continue to kind of walk out the effects of the devastation of the storm. Why don't we just do that now before we dive into God's word? Father, 
Thank you for the community of the church that we have been called to be a part of. Lord, thank you for your protection through the storm. Thank you for damage that is, is really just physical and, and in terms of our homes and property and not damage of life in this particular area. Lord, we know there are friends and neighbors, family members that lost their lives on the Gulf Coast and South Florida. We pray for their families now. Lord, we continue to pray for protection even after the storm. As the nice weather has now moved back and the heat has moved back in, Lord, we pray for protection physically. We pray for protection of property. We pray for wisdom in walking this process out. We hear numbers that are just hard for us to comprehend when we start hearing insurance claims in the billions. And yet, you know everything that is going on and everything that you are after in people's hearts in the midst of even moments like this. So God, we don't look to insurance companies to resolve things. We don't look to aid organizations to resolve things. We don't look to our own impulse to go and serve others to resolve things. We look to you. And God, help us to know how we can serve our brothers and sisters. Holy Spirit, help us to know how to pray for one another and brothers and sisters that are in the Gulf Coast and South Florida. And then when we are called to action, help us to go in the strength that you provide. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles open or if you have your app, you can turn to Hosea chapter 4. We're continuing in our series, Not Safe for Church. And, and you may wonder, like, why a name like this, Not Safe for Church? Shouldn't the church be a place where everything is safe to talk about? And I think that's actually the point of this sermon. But there are aspects of the story and, and the, the narrative or the, the accounts that are captured in the book of Hosea that seem like things, maybe even words we shouldn't say in church, but it's not just about this account, it's actually about us. And so you'll hear things like when Shane said a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago when he says, that this is like God taking our relationship from, from the courtroom into the bedroom. That can be language that you're just like, yo, uh, that is uncomfortable. Uh, and I understand that, but that is exactly what is happening here. We, we are dealing with something relationally that is not just a, a general knowledge of something about God. It is speaking directly to our relationship. Now, let me just say this at the, at the outset. I think it's difficult at times to get past our own understanding of courtrooms when it comes to our relationship with God. What do I mean by that? Well, we're informed by a lot of different things. Perhaps you've even kind of ridden the highs and lows of Supreme Court decisions and then local court decisions this week where we're just left wondering, like, what is justice even anymore? I think about the devastating effect of hearing a mother after the Parkland court uh, decision crying out, why do we even have the death penalty anymore if this is not a case? That, oh, that breaks my heart. It's not like I, I want other people to lose their life, and yet at the same time, I hear a mother's plea, what is justice? And we're reminded that even in systems in this world, there is a brokenness that remains that we can only look to Christ. 
as a true and lasting and eternal justice. And so it can be difficult at times to kind of take ourselves out of the temporary highs and lows. Like, like I think it's wonderful and maybe even just a good start that Alex Jones owes a, like a billion kajillion dollars to those families that he just said the stupidest things about. I think there's something right about that. I don't know Alex Jones personally. I'd probably punch him in the throat if I did. Because it's not that I don't want you to talk. I don't want you to talk ever again. And so there's something where it seems like, well, that seems like the beginning of justice. And then you have this other case where it's like, that seems like justice is needed here. And oh, how we long for true justice. I think about uh, an individual, this friend of mine that works in family court. And they shared with me that in family court, as, as people are walking through either divorce or abuse or things that are happening in families, that there is a sense that they have accomplished justice when both parties are equally upset that they didn't get their way. That doesn't sound like justice to me. It doesn't seem like the scales that that, that, that uh, blinded statue standing out in front of and in so many law offices. It doesn't seem like the right set of scales that we're measuring justice by. If it's, well, this is justice if everybody's equally upset. And so we can have some experiential hurdles that we walk through when we think about the courtroom of our relationship with God. And yet that's what Hosea chapter 4 takes us back into. So if a couple of weeks ago Shane took us from the courtroom to the bedroom, I'm taking us back out of the bedroom and back into the courtroom today. Now here's another hurdle. I don't recommend this being the way that you try to resolve things with your friends. You know, I've noticed that we just don't agree on anything now, so why don't we go to court and let a judge sort this out for us? That is certainly no way to win a friend or a long-term relationship. So why is it that God take us back into the courtroom? I think it's a reminder of the seriousness of our sin. It's a reminder of His holiness. It's a reminder that not only are we called into this relationship with Him, which is wonderful and a beautiful picture of His heart for us, but it's a reminder that He is also holy, holy, holy. And so today, let's continue through Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There's no knowledge of God in the land. There's no steadfast love. There is no faithfulness. And so here we almost hear the Lord playing the role of the bailiff, calling the court to order. Hear, O Israel. And it's this nationwide claim. I have something to contend with you. Maybe that's the word that your, your, your Bible uses. Uh, my Bible, the ESV, it uses the word controversy. And you may think like, well, how is it that you're thinking this is a courtroom? Well, it actually goes back to Hosea 2. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 2, where the Lord says, plead with the people. 
In, in Hosea 2, 2, it says, plead with your mother. And here he says, hear, O Israel. And so is he speaking to the nation? Is he speaking to individuals? And the answer is yes. And so today and next week, we're going to see as we continue through Hosea chapter 4, he makes this nationwide claim, and then he begins to narrow the focus to where he's talking to each one of us in here today, myself included. So it's, it's important for us to realize that as we begin to move into Hosea chapter 4, we're not just coming to the next part of the account of Hosea and Gomer. No, this is a new section, but chapters 1 through 3 of Hosea are going to set our understanding. They're going to kind of set the, the, the context for us to understand what is the Lord after in his people. Now we see this pattern throughout chapters 1 through 3. We see this wonderful marriage. We see uh, moments where there is uh, infidelity. And what does that reveal? It reveals our own heart and our spiritual adultery. I mean, there's a concept just to spend time to to wrap your mind around that we we would be unfaithful to the one who is perfectly faithful. And then there would be a pursuit of that that unfaithful wife in this case and then there would be a a reconciliation and then a a running away again and there would be children that are born of that and it can be very confusing and yet it sets the context for everything for us to understand as we continue through the book of Hosea if you haven't been there for that those messages are online you can listen to them maybe not right now so this is not the next chronological step in the account of Hosea and Gomer, but those chapters help us understand what the Lord is after. And here he plays the role of the the bailiff calling the court to order. And he's also going to be kind of the judge and jury because what does he do? He starts right away reading out the indictment against us. Look at it again with me at the end of verse 1 of Hosea chapter 4. The Lord has a controversy. He's pleading over something with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There's a broken relationship with the Lord. There's no faithfulness. There's no truth. There's there's no bond between the people. That covenant bond that we've been studying about has been broken. The, the people themselves have been unfaithful to that covenant bond. And so this is where we begin to hear both the language of covenant and spiritual adultery again. There's no love. This isn't the momentary feels, right? When we're talking about love. We're talking about a covenant commitment or steadfast love. There's a genuine affection and care But in covenant love, there's also a sustained fidelity or faithfulness to covenant promises. When those covenant promises are broken, there's there's very real consequences for those moments. How tragic that that's what we far too often know the courts more for than understanding this before we even enter into the covenant of marriage with one another. Understanding the right standing of this relationship there's no knowledge of God. You may think that uh, today my, my sermon title is A Case for Knowing God. And you may wonder, how is it that we see that the knowledge of God is the primary thing? Well, if you were to turn over to Hosea 6.6, 6, it's just a couple of pages. If you were to turn over to Hosea 6.6, 6, we'll see that in this section, the knowledge of God is really kind of the overarching theme of what he's after. 
Hosea 6, 6 says this, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. In other words, I want your heart more than your actions. I want your heart more than your actions. I want your steadfast love. I want your knowledge of me more than the, the trappings of the things that you do. Now, then that's not a reason for us to just say, well, then it doesn't matter if I show up at church on Sundays. No, that's not true. Actually, let me, let me just set this in a little bit of context so that we can kind of return to this theme as we go throughout the day. God is not setting up hurdles for us to have to, to, to climb over or crawl under or get over in any way that we can so that we can know Him. He's saying, know Him so that we can be faithful. Know Him so that we can love Him. And what does that reveal to us? It reveals to us that God initiates toward me and you that we might know Him so that we can be faithful, so that we can love Him. It is God who initiates. In other words, He's not telling us, if you knew enough about me, if you loved me enough, and if you were faithful, then we'd have a good relationship. And yet, isn't that the temptation that all of us face? As we read passages like this, what we read for is our new biblical to-do list so that God will love us. And he says, I loved you enough to pursue you that I would, that I would know you and you would know me. And I'll take care of the faithfulness part. Seth did such a great job covering that a couple of weeks ago on covenants. I'll take care of the faithfulness part. It's literally who I am. I'll take care of that part. You want to you know love that's more than just feels, but it's a fidelity and a faithfulness to one another? Let me show you that. So God is not creating new hurdles for us to be able to clear in order to know him. He is inviting us to know him so that we can be faithful. I mean, we, we almost hear here what unfortunately we have all experienced when we deal with broken relationships in the world. How many of us have had conversations with friends where, where we've heard a wife lament, he's not faithful to me? Where we've heard a husband lament, she doesn't love me. Where we've heard a wife lament, he doesn't know me. Where we've heard a husband lament, she doesn't understand me. We know those relationships. Perhaps you're in one of those relationships right now. Perhaps you know someone sitting on the row that you are on that these are the themes of conversations that you've been having maybe in your own head for months. And we recognize that this is yet again something for us to get past in our mind so that we can rightly understand God. So that we can rightly receive from His Word you see, God is not here to be this kind of accusational father, friend, lover. He's here to be the one that says, I am going to set out both the letter of the law so that we understand that he has a perfect way that this relationship is to be established. But I'm also going to add in the spirit of this covenant as well. In other words, it's not just about our actions, it's about our relationship with him. Oh, church, how dangerous it is to get this out of balance. How dangerous it is to, to focus more on the letter 
of this relationship than the spirit of this relationship. How dangerous it is to highlight the spirit of this relationship and ignore the letter of this relationship. No, God calls us to be on balance in our relationship with him, saying, I want you to experience both the spirit of this covenantal relationship and the letter of it as well. But how kind of him, how kind of God to lead out of the spirit of it when he says, I want people to know me. That's our starting place in our relationship with God. The gospel, the good news of the gospel doesn't call us to be perfectly faithful and love him perfectly before we can know him. The complete opposite is true. And it reminds us of God's initiation towards us. You know, when we think about practically this knowledge of God, and even as we're coming out of worship, and and, uh, Debbie, thank you for that word this morning. Don't flee or fight, fall. In those moments where we're wondering about the faithfulness of God, don't flee or fight, fall. See, I think God's after something in us. He really wants to take us out of our experience in this world and he wants to show us a a supernatural relationship that is perfect in love and holiness. He wants to show us something that is far above what we could even ask or imagine that when we begin to experience a taste of it, we almost recoil out of fear of, could this even be real? It's so good. Could this even be real? And the answer is, it's not only real, it's eternal. It's not only eternal as we think about forward in time, it is going all the way back in time that God had you in mind, not only in your mother's womb, but before he even created the foundation of this world. Oh, what kind of love is this that we would be able to experience? And he calls us to know him. But then there are these moments where we walk through life and and things are just changing. Uh, If you'll indulge just for a moment, I've been talking with both of my my sons lately. and, And over the last few years, I may have mentioned this before, but I have been fascinated by transitions in life. Transitions in life, and it kind of started uh, years ago. Uh, Stephanie and I were leading a community group here in the church, and and we were wanting to learn from some older couples, and so we invited uh, Shirley Corbett and her husband Jerry into our home. And Shirley told me that she'd been married to five different men, and I thought, what in the world have I done? I had no idea. And then I realized what she was talking about was seasons and stages of life that they had walked through in their marriage. I was fascinated by this after I was shocked. Right. Because I was like, surely I've always had you on such a pedestal. What are you doing to me? And in front of my own community group. But I think if we think back on relationships, we think about that. We all have those types of relationships. She talked about marrying the jock out of high school. And then being married to the new dad. And then being married to the, the, the new salesman who is trying to build up his career. And then being married to the top salesperson for Hughes Supply in the city of Orlando. And then being married to a guy that had just retired and so much of what he had built his life on had changed. And I was just fascinated by that. And then I went back to her and I said, you missed a part. Shirley, you missed a part and I need your help. How did you know you were going from one version of your husband to another 
I was curious about that because I think we all have this kind of moment where we, we get the sense that something's changing, but we don't know how to talk about it. Or we look back and we're just like, oh yeah, that's different now. I had forgotten all about that. Or that, it almost feels like another version of you. Kylene Chin, our, one of our deacon's wives, sent uh, Stephanie and I a picture last night that she came across of, of Stephanie and I in 2005. I didn't recognize that version of my family. It didn't include Ella. Right? And so all of a sudden there's this stark reminder of who we were on my phone. And it was weird. And so I, I kind of became fascinated by transitions in that moment. And, and I began to just kind of, as I was studying it, just in my own personal devotional time, as I was kind of giving some time in the Word, what does God's Word say about those transitions in life? What are the things that we should be considering? What, what are the things that are unique temptations in those transitions? I came across a set of questions. And it was just helpful for me. The top question is, what's true about God in this moment? Now, why does that have to be the number one question for me? Because I so easily forget that. See, when, when my life is going through changes, I can so easily focus on the changes that I take my eyes off of what's true about God. Hosea chapter 4 verse 1 is calling us as a church to answer the question, what's true about God? What's true about God? He wants to know you, he loves you, and he's faithful to you. That's what's true about God. That's what's true about God. So when we are walking through life, not only can we can we be informed by these things about transition? We can see in God's word how it equips us for those moments of life. It equips us for those moments in life so that we can walk rightly for his glory. Shall we continue? Hosea chapter 4 verse 2 says this. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows Bloodshed. Oh man, the implications of a lack of the knowledge of God. The implications of not loving Him or being faithful to Him. You see the devastation of the abandonment of the covenant with God? You begin to see the effects on those around us? There's something tragic and devastating about that. I mean, even as I read it aloud, and I've kind of been thinking about this this week, this almost reminds me of that scene in Home Alone where he's like, you lying, no good, stink. And, you know, it's just like, what in the world is happening here as God is bringing these accusations against us? There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery, breaking of all bounds, and bloodshed that follows bloodshed. Man, does this ever describe the world around us. Oh, how my heart breaks for you if this is what describes your home life or any experience that you've ever walked through. There's kind of five representative sins listed here. 
Let's just summarize them briefly. There's cursing or swearing. It really breaks the third commandment. Now, the third commandment is that you're not taking the Lord's name in vain. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> what, what is it they could be doing? Whether, what, are they swearing? Are they just using the Lord's name in vain like, unfortunately, we might see Nick Saban do is in the middle of the Tennessee, is lost to Tennessee last night? I don't think that's what they're talking about. I, I don't think that's what they're talking about. I don't think they're talking about the, the, the Lord's name in vain as some kind of just a curse word. They're, they're certainly talking about that, but not just that. Actually, what it is is they're making an oath with other gods. This is that spiritual adultery. They're swearing. They're making an oath. They're making a promise. They're making some other kind of lesser covenant with others. That's how they're taking the Lord's name in vain. They're saying, I may need other gods to handle this for me. Uh, this God doesn't seem like he's enough. Let me search out some others and let me make a deal with them. Country music would call this making a deal with the devil, wouldn't it? Have you sold your soul to the devil in order to have all of this gain? That's kind of how oftentimes we think about it in the world today. But what is it? It is a breaking of the third commandment not to take the Lord's name in vain. In other words, his name above all others. His glory above all others. Then we have lying, murdering, stealing, committing adultery. What does that break? The ninth, the sixth, the eighth, and the seventh commandments. What are the results? Well, read with me. What are the results? Hosea chapter 4, verse 3. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Do you remember when I said at the beginning that sin is serious? Its effects are devastating. Hosea paints a very stark picture of that for us. What are the effects of this sin? The creation itself is broken. It reminds us of the seriousness of sin that lands us in God's courtroom. It reminds us of his holiness, that he is the one who is able to judge perfectly. The devastation... I mean, it's the second reference to the land. Verse 1 talks about the land. Verse 3 talks about the land. It's a reminder that, that that land was even part of a covenantal promise to the people of Israel. We see this in the Mosaic Covenant quite a bit. Their even ability to inhabit or possess land is a covenant blessing, and yet they have broken covenant with God through their spiritual adultery, and the land does what it mourns. Man, it, thinks, it makes me think about scriptures that talk about the rocks crying out if we don't praise the Lord because creation itself was designed by God to just sing the praise of his glorious name. And yet how often do we see the brokenness of the worlds, the world around us? I mean, we hear the echoes of the beasts, the birds, the fish that humanity was to, to steward and to rule over and subdue. Our brokenness, our broken relationship with God, our, our sin has a serious effect on the world around us. So where can any hope be found? Where can, where can any hope be found for the nation of Israel or let alone the, the individuals that make up that land? In other words, we might be wondering now, why am I being brought down because of the sin of others? Why am I getting lumped in with all of them? 
Why is it that I should be punished because of what happens with everybody else? And Hosea 4.4 continues and helps us to understand when it says this, Yet let no one contend, let none accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day, the prophet also shall stumble and with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. For you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. And we're going to close here for today. This begins to set up some themes that we'll see next week as, as God begins to address leaders in the nation of Israel. And as he continues to, to kind of narrow his focus from the people of Israel that make up the nation. And he begins to narrow it in on individuals. But he calls out, my people are destroyed and let no one contend for with you is my contention. His aim is to get to every heart that hears this. His call is that we would all hear his word but I think it's important for us just to kind of close with this main point the call to know God is far more relational than just being able to recite a lot about God the call to know God is more relational than just being able to recite a lot about God. So we begin to gain a sense of how this lack of knowledge that God calls his people out for is something deeply personal and intimate. It's very close to his heart for us as his people. Perhaps you have a list like I do where there's famous people that you would just say, I would love to just have lunch with that individual. If I could just get to know them a little bit, I have so many questions about that. And I'll, I'll give you one of mine. Gene Krantz. You may not know the name. He was the flight director for Apollo 11. Apollo 11, which is supposed to be a mission that goes around the moon, and what it becomes is a rescue mission across hundreds of thousands of miles. He's the one that would have heard the words, and it, they would have become a nightmare to him over the days as they were working through that of Houston, we have a problem. He is the one who is credited as actually saying the words, failure is not an option. And, and you may think like, he, he seems like a man's man. Now, I can tell you a lot of things about, about Gene Kranz's career. I can tell you a lot of things about some of the failures that he walked through early on that I think informed Apollo 11. But here's the thing. I don't know Gene Kranz. But I wonder, like, would there ever be a time where I would go from calling him Mr. Kranz to where he just said, it's okay, just call me Gene. You think about those mans. I mean, there's this kind of weird thing that I'd love to meet Denzel Washington and just have some interaction with him that at some point he would just look at me and say, my man. Like, I've always dreamed that at some time Denzel would call me his man, right? Like, I see that in the movies and I'm just like, I want that kind of relationship with Denzel. Would I ever be able to stop calling Gene Krantz Mr. Krantz and he just says, it's okay, just call me Gene. You see, that's the difference in knowing a lot about someone and knowing them. And God doesn't call us to know a lot about him. He calls us to know him. Amazing. Just amazing. One of the commentaries that I read this week said it this way. 
We were created to know, to love, to glorify, and to serve God. Knowledge of God is our purpose. We were meant to experience intimacy with God, an intrinsic encounter, one that reveals and brings us into union, the essential nature and inner being of God and us. And in that relationship, His nature is recreated in us. From His recreation flows integrity, flows obedience, to discover and to do His will, to live His commandments and to do the truth. We are destroyed without that knowledge. God doesn't invite us into learning a lot about Him. He invites us to know Him personally through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is part of what Paul had in mind when he says, in talking to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 1, 20-25, he says this, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We bump down to... 2 verses 1 through 2 it says this and I this is Paul speaking and I when I came to you brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom I decided to know what I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified Jesus is the pathway to knowing God perfectly now here's the danger when you hear a sermon like this I want to acknowledge it so we don't go there. Because it's, it's a real danger in our lives. This is me saying, caution. The road is out ahead if you take this path. Caution, don't go here. If you hear a sermon like this and your mind starts to go to try to remember all of the good that you've done, you're not hearing me this morning. If your mind starts to try to go and gather all the receipts of your good actions, you're not hearing me this morning. Because if your mind goes to say, if I'm going to court with God, I'm bringing the evidence with me. There's no evidence that will ever overcome your sinfulness in the presence of a holy God. Save the receipts all you want, but don't look back at them. There's no evidence that you can try to gather up to overcome and so let us put our mind at ease when it comes to the evidence and let us look to Christ let us look to Christ Paul Paul knew how to not look at the evidence Paul knew how to base his life, not on the things that he either had or the things that he had chosen to go without. Paul knew how to look to Christ alone. 
You may say, well, yeah, I heard like echoes of that in that, that 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 passage. Yeah, think about what he says here in 2 Timothy 1.12 as well. I know in whom I believe. I know him. I don't know just about him. I don't have all the facts and figures. I can't recite every creed and doctrine, but I know him. I know him. Paul didn't say he knew what he believed. Paul said, whom? I know whom I have believed. See, that, that's what it looks like to know the Lord intimately, to, to know him even experientially. See, we, we know not only hear about God's grace that Christ has offered to us, but we accept it in being loved. I was reminded this week, or this, over this last couple of weeks, as President Biden kind of sent out a, a, uh, a federal decree that there's a pardon for all, I think it's 6,500 that have like the basic case against them. He just kind of issues a blanket pardon. And I was reminded of this, and, and perhaps we've mentioned it here before, but it's a helpful reminder for us today. See, a pardon can be granted but that doesn't necessarily expunge the record. But a pardon can be granted and never actually legally enacted. And you may think, how is that possible? Well, Supreme Court actually says how it's possible. A pardon has to both be granted and received. Granted and received. And my question for you is this morning, have you received the pardon that is offered freely to you through Jesus Christ? Christ isn't here to expunge your record. He's here for his blood to cover it perfectly. God is not some Mr. Magoo in the sky who just can't seem to remember. What was that thing you did so long ago? No, he chooses not to look at that and to look to the blood of Jesus Christ on your record. Have you received that? It's a pardon freely offered. And this isn't just the cosmic court in the sky. This is your eternal destiny. Have you received the pardon offered to you? See, receiving the pardon offered to us through Christ means that we can not just study the atonement, but we can experience the renewal that comes through it. More than just thinking about God's promise to abide in us, to make home and to take up residency and to fill the space within us. We invite him to live into us and we enter the kingdom and experience Christ's rule and reign in us. We experience his rule and reign in our relationships and in all the responsibilities that we have in life. See, in Christ, God opened his innermost heart to us. Colossians 1.19 says that God dwelt bodily in the Messiah. John 14.9 says that for he who has seen me, these are Jesus' words, has seen the Father. John 1.4 says this, that in him was the life and the light, uh, excuse me, in him was life and the life was the light of man. John 1.18 says that the only begotten Son who is the bosom of the Father, as he has declared him. 
in Christ, God, the one who calls us to hear, the one who has something to contend with us, reveals his heart for us. Perfectly and beautifully. Will you receive? Will you receive? I know that as we come to a close of a sermon like this, there's a lot of ground that we've covered. There's a lot that you've heard, maybe are taking in. Here's how we can respond. If you're here and you've not received, are you willing to do so today? To receive that pardon? We're just going to take a moment right here in our seats. I'm actually just going to make a recommendation for those who have received and they say, I want to know God more. Knowing God is our lifelong journey until we are with him in heaven. Notice that there's never some point where we will reach the level where we just say, I know God perfectly. I experience him perfectly. Life throws too many circumstances at us to be able to ever say that with any sense of confidence. I would like to highly recommend, I've been back in it and study over these last few weeks, there's really just too much that's too rich to mention here. But J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, I would highly recommend this to you. If you're at a place where you just say, I want to actually dig in more and I want to actually know God more, here is a wonderful place to start as a guide to be digging into God's Word. In other words, you don't replace God's Word with this. It helps you understand God's Word better and apply it to your life. I would just recommend this to you this morning. Can we just take a moment before we stand and sing? Can we just take a moment and let the Holy Spirit speak to us? What is it that God is after in each one of us as individuals today? Not our nation, not our church, not our community group. You and me. What is God after in our hearts that we might know him more for his glory? Father, we want to know you. We want to rightly receive of your pardon. And so if there are any here this morning that want to receive and are not sure how to do that, Lord, we we begin by acknowledging our need for a Savior to even be able to receive pardon. Why do we need a pardon? Because of the guilt of our sin. And Lord, we cannot come up with enough evidence in your heavenly court 
but we want to spend eternity in your heavenly courts with you. In your kingdom. So we acknowledge our need for a Savior. We confess not only our sin, and we acknowledge that before you, but we confess in declaring that you alone are God. Jesus Christ alone is our Savior. The Holy Spirit alone can empower us to even respond. And for the pardon freely offered, we receive that as a free gift of grace. For those here who have had that experience, Lord, I ask, and and for those here today that are convicted of ways that that they need to grow in the knowledge of God so that when the the winds of life or the the shakings of life, they they blow against us and and life just seems like it's full full of turmoil, that we will not be shaken, that we will not flee from those moments of life to another God, that we will not try to fight with you in your perfect will for us, but we will fall into your mercy and your grace. Lord, we agree with David who at the end of his life when he was faced with something, having experienced you throughout his lifetime, through his, his failings and the things that he had done for you that were glorious, what does he say at the end of his life? He says, I cast myself on mercy. We fall into your mercy But God, don't let this sense of being stirred to know you more end with the This Week at Metro video that's going to play in just a moment. May it stir us in our study of your word. May it stir us to begin to read knowing God. May it stir us to even admit to those around us, I have found myself at this plateau. And I don't want to stay there I want to grow in the knowledge of God that this would not be his contention with me. Not knowing more about you, but experiencing who you are. Lord, we pray these things this morning in Jesus' name. Church, can we just stand and sing together and rejoice that his mercy is more.